Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome to our season two finale, episode 26 of Influence Radio with Cole A. Hatter. <laughs> what allows you to create? I mean, how would you, what are some recommendations you have for where to get started? What the hell did you do that had somebody find you from Australia? This is it. Influence Radio. What is that like for you living that life? And do you ever have to like kind of pinch yourself and, and wonder if it's all real? What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Evan Kudadimov. And there has been lots of amazing things happening at the Kudadimov residence as of late, like trips abroad to Europe, uh, new home purchases, and lots of other shenanigans that I'm not going to get into here. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, continue leaving me your messages. I've been really good about responding to everyone. Been really appreciative of everything that you guys have been saying. And I am especially curious about what you hear uh, what you hear on the show and what you see next for it, especially as we're closing out the season finale here. And that is what today is all about. We are closing it out with a boom as we bring on Cole A. Hatter. Uh, I don't know what can I, I mean, what is there to say about this man other than he is just a visionary, he is a leader, I mean, he is he is a father, he is a business expert, I mean, he has been through it all. I don't want to get too far into it because I want him to tell you his story himself, and we were so fortunate to catch him at this very special part of his life uh, that you will hear as well. So for all of you that want to hear more of me, I will be signing us off at the end for our ongoing listeners, our new subscribers. Stick around and let's get right into the goodies with Cole A. Hatter. Cole, thank you so much for coming on to the show, man. Um, I'm really, really excited about this one. I know you got a busy schedule. I know you got a lot going on. I want to cover all of it. But first and foremost, welcome to Influence Radio. How you feeling today, man? I feel great, man. How you doing, bro? I'm doing I'm doing great, man. I've been <laughs> I've been wanting to coordinate this interview for for a long time now and uh, ever since I met you and so I'm really excited to be leaving the season off on this note. So thank you for your time uh, and you know, I know that you just had a baby and I want to get into all of that. Uh, but I appreciate you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, man, it's been my pleasure. And uh, yeah, this is my first bit of business since taking some father time leave. Actually, I uh, she was born a week ago today. And so I've been in a dark hole. But uh, it's cool that uh, my first, I don't know, re-entrance into the business world happened to be hanging out with you for an hour. So really looking forward to it, man. Ah, nice. Yeah, I appreciate that. So, you know, tell, tell me about that. So you just had your, your second child. Uh, you just had this beautiful baby girl. What, what is that like for you? Kind of like, I mean, you, you, you must still be like kind of soaking in all that. What is it like for you being a father of a second child? Yeah. So uh, like we were talking about before you press record, I've already had a baby girl. This is number two, but it's equally as exciting as number one. There was nothing like, oh, been there, done that. It's it's obviously very similar, but yet totally a new and wonderful experience. And, uh, you know, she is six days old or I guess seven days old today. So um or will be seven days old at 3.45 p.m. this afternoon. But uh, so it's it's been really cool. Um, 
you know, it's all this stuff that I heard a million times before being a parent that now I'm just getting to experience. But my wife and I had a little concern. I guess concern's a little too strong of a word, but we were nervous that, you know, we had such a cool dynamic with my wife, myself, and my first child. It was like we were the the trio, the three of us. Mm-hmm. Like we were we were all buddies. And we're like, obviously we love this kid that's coming, but is it going to mess up the dynamic? Like with there being another person in our little trio, what's going to happen? But dude, like we just freaking love her to death. And my wife and I always talk about like, it's so funny. We don't know this person. Obviously she's been in my wife for nine months, but we don't know her yet, but we're already head over heels in love and obsessed with her. So it's cool. I'm a super family dude. I think a lot of people are, but I think I got a little extra just Mm -hmm. maybe with some of my story and, and, um, I grew up with an amazing family dynamic. My parents have been married for 44 years. Uh, they've been together for 49 years. So growing up with parents who really do love each other and even sometimes a publicly inappropriate way where we're like, mom, dad, stop. Um, <laughs> I think that really instilled a really strong family dynamic. And then, um, you know, with as you know, some of my story, Evan, of just uh, touches with near death of really appreciating time, those two compounded. I'm an extra, extra strong family dude. So mm. having another child is amazing. I'm already talking to, to my wife about the third, and she's mm-hmm. looking at me like she wants to punch me for even mentioning <laughs> it because she literally was uh, in labor actually in this moment seven days ago. So uh, she's not ready to talk about number three, but I could have a whole farm of kids. I freaking love them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, for, for the guys, it's like, yeah, you know, bring it on. We've got kids to hang with and go and, like, be our inner child with. But uh, for the women, I think it's, you know, just a slightly different perspective. <laughs> oh, totally. And, you know, poor, uh, poor women, the, the male female contribution to, to creating life is a little bit unbalanced, right? <laughs> we, we do our part and then for the next nine months they do the rest. So anyway, but uh, yeah, so, so I, I could talk about my family all day long, but super excited about being a parent again and, and just welcoming a little girl uh, into the family. Nice, man. Yeah, that's uh, it's an exciting time. You know, it's something that I'm I'm looking forward to. As you know, I just got married in November, and Amira and I are taking next steps together. We're we're actually in the process of purchasing a home right now, and you know, really creating that foundation, which I know uh, you have a lot of experience in. So I wanted to touch on this. I mean, you know, Cole, you have such a wide range of experiences. You know, you're you're an entrepreneur, an investor, author, award-winning speaker. I know that you've done a lot with like real estate and startups um, and you've really, for me, why I wanted to bring you on the show is because you really embody kind of the, the full spectrum. You know, you, you are family oriented, you know, you have the entrepreneurial side, you're financially successful, you know, successful with family and really creating this beautiful balance in life. And that to me is like, what this show is all about is educating people on how to create that in their lives where they're both creating wealth and creating abundant wealth within, you know, their their immediate community um, and their business or whatever it is, whatever venture they want to take on in life. So let me ask you this, man. I mean, how did you, I know you said you've got this great family dynamic that really supported you from an emotional level, but what got you involved in all the entrepreneurial stuff and wanting to invest in real estate and create wealth? Yeah, so I know you know my story and I'll give the cliff note version. We can dive into as much of it as you'd like, but uh uh, in about eighth grade uh, is when I think I started thinking, okay, I'm obviously not near adulthood yet, but I should start wrapping my mind around what it is I might pursue when adulthood comes. You know, I'm what, 12, 13 years old in junior high, and and uh, God really put it on my heart to want to help people. I thought, if I'm going to go and do something the rest of my life, I want to do something that makes money, obviously, to pay the bills, but 
where I get to help people, where I get to, you know, not work in an office of a company that helps people, uh, which is fine, but where I'm personally helping people. And so I looked at, you know, potentially being a doctor, then I would be able to personally help people or, or join our military or, or be a police officer. And I decided to be a firefighter in uh, junior high. I thought, Hey, you know what, if I can play with fire, save lives, and someone will pay me for it, sign me up. <laughs> and so in high school, I started taking evening classes uh, and some junior high, or excuse me, some cl- college classes at a junior college to get ready so that, uh, you know, I, I did the regular high school thing. And then in night uh, school, got my, a lot of my stuff, my prerequisites done for going into the fire academy, paramedic school and all that. So I graduated high school and actually went right into a department at 19 years old uh, since I had done a lot of the legwork already. And so here I am in my dream career, 19 years old, and uh, knew that I had my entire life figured out, that I would put my 30 years in for that department, and that I would retire my late 40s with my full pension benefits, spend my 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond you know, on easy street just chilling in retirement. Well, that was my, my plan. Two years into that, something happened, which I call life, which most of us can relate to, where we have a crystal clear plan and then life sends us in a different direction. And what that looked like for me was an actual car accident. Um, I was in actually two different accidents, two months apart, where I ended up in a wheelchair for a while. I had to learn how to walk again. I actually had to move in with mom and dad at 21 years old because I was so hurt. I couldn't care for myself. I couldn't walk. I couldn't feed myself. I was uh, basically just, you know, uh, bump on a log. I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they had to care for me. And uh, I had to learn to walk, like I said, again. And uh, thank God, as of recording this, I'm 100% healthy. I have no long-term injuries from that. But in that first year or so after that accident, I, I needed to start looking into other opportunities. And you know, the advice came in, well, Cole, you're only 21. Go to school. Go get a degree. Go get a job. You can do that from a wheelchair if, if you don't learn to walk again. And although a corporate environment is a good fit for some, it wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, uh, It's just I wanted to help people with my own hands and see the result. And so uh, I knew I needed to pay my bills in the meantime. And so I started doing real estate. I, I found that uh, – I I was I I don't know I had a knack for it and uh, I saw some my my parents next door neighbors were doing very well at it they were kind of the ones that inspired me to get in and I said you know what I'll do real estate because if I do it well I can make some good money and still have a lot of time freedom to then figure out what the heck it is I want to do with the rest of my life so started being a realtor realized pretty quickly that real being a realtor is cool but being an investor for me is better. You know, real estate agents get commissions, real estate investors make profits, and I thought that profits sounded sexier. So switched hats, became an investor, and that was 11 years ago. And then, uh, you know, started my real estate investment business, did very well. The recession came, the, uh, you know, American collapse of real estate came, kicked my butt. I lost a lot, uh, basically got reset back to zero and realized, okay, I know how to be an entrepreneur, but all of my marbles were in one basket all the money I was making and all of where I was holding my money was exclusively in real estate. Real estate just got its butt kicked. Maybe I should diversify and figure out how to do more than just flip houses and then buy and hold rentals. And so it was in the middle of the recession where my little entrepreneurial brain started firing off on, you know, how can I be recession proof? And, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, not a naysayer, but it's, you know, economies. Uh, and I'm sure some of your audience, Evan, is, is around the world and not necessarily in America, but right. every economy has cycles. It has ups, it has downs. And so, again, not being a naysayer, knowing that the American economy will have downs again in my lifetime, what can I do that would diversify my risk and my income stream so that regardless of 
what economic climate we're in, I can be profitable and continue to provide for my family. And so started investing, like you mentioned earlier, in some startups, started some other companies, sold one. And uh, today I continue to invest in real estate. That's my bread and butter and always will, but have slowed down uh, pretty significantly to allow me to start doing other things. Um, as you know, where you and I met, Evan was at my event in Las Vegas. And so I've, I've just really pursued a lot of passions. I have a, a lot of passion projects and then a lot of other, again, income streams where now regardless of what comes in the years to come. And, you know, there's speculation right now that a recession's coming because of how much debt we have. As, as of recording this podcast, we have over $19 trillion of debt in our nation um, to, that we owe to other people regardless of what we've printed of our own money. And so some people say, hey, you know, it's, it's a ride around the corner for another dip, whether it goes as bad as a recession or not. You know, things are going to change. I'm ready for it because uh, I have a recession-proof business model. So mm. long answer to your question, how I ended mm -hmm. up an entrepreneur was, uh, I don't want to call it an accident because I don't think you know anything happens by accident, but it wasn't part of my life plan. It was just uh, me reacting to circumstances and instead of throwing my hands up in the air and being a victim and saying, oh, this car accident, you know, it stole my real estate or what is it, a firefighting career and mm. boo-hoo, I just said, well, screw it. I can flip houses from a wheelchair, so I'll do that. And Again, I walk fine today, but uh, that was the attitude I had, and it served me well. Wow! Yeah, that's uh, that's a great, great wealth of knowledge, and you know, and I'm I'm really glad that you bring up that concept of diversifying, right? Because I I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs nowadays, you know, they they get really compelled. They see these people being successful, and you know, they're creating these online businesses, or they're 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 leveraging like new technologies and things, and they want to jump on that train, and they they kind of go all in, and you know when they hit that when they hit that wall, like there's this they're kind of come up against it, and they're either gonna push through and be one of those people that actually makes it over that you know two year hump that usually stops entrepreneurs in their tracks, or you know they they allow that to kind of take over and have to kind of like sit in this limbo trying to figure it out. But what I what I like about what you did. You know, Cole, and you're stressing, and I think it's so critical, is to the importance of diversifying your wealth. Um, that's not something that everyone always subscribes to, and that's something I'm getting more into now. Like, even after four years, I'm realizing the importance of it. What, is, what would you say has, um, you know, what would you say is the importance of diversifying your investments and creating wealth? And then what has brought you the most success in creating that diversity? So, you know, first question is what's the importance of diversification? Well, again, um, you know, real estate in our country, in America, is uh, the greatest wealth creator. Uh, the number one place that you find an American's net worth is in their home is in equity. The second is in their retirement accounts, and it goes from there, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, I'm sure some of your audience are big stock fans, and I'm not anti-stock. I have stock. But the facts are the facts. Uh, real estate has created more millionaires than anyone else. So it's a great industry to be in. And if you know what you're doing, um, again, even though our economy is cyclical and so is real estate, if you know what you're doing, you can make a killing in a down market in real estate as well. I know that now. I didn't know it the first time I got my freaking butt kicked. So mm -hmm. you know, the first part of what's the importance of diversifying is even with something as tried and true and proven as real estate, it does go down as well. And so um, – trying to think of a good analogy, but the, the, if you are 
all your marbles are in one basket. You've heard this a million times, right? All your eggs are in one basket, whatever. If it's all in one place and something shifts in that one place, like for instance, I have friends that their entire net worth is in their 401k and that 401k is entirely invested in one mutual fund. Cool. Well, what happens when that mutual fund, when, not if, when that mutual fund dips? We'll ask the Americans from 2007 through 2011 what happened to their retirement account balances. They were cut in some cases by 70% in just those three to four years. Money they had saved over the previous 30 years, 70% gone in three years, right? And so you see it again and again and again. So, you know, what's the importance of diversification is pretty self explanatory. It's pretty obvious. Heaven forbid something comes and all your money's in one place, you're screwed. Even some people will diversify, but they'll still be in the financial markets. They'll have some money in a mutual fund, some money in stock, some money in bonds. But those things are all cousins to one another. And if one starts sliding, oftentimes the others go. So a lot of financial planners, who I'm you know, not necessarily knocking, will put hardworking people's money into a quote-unquote diversified portfolio where they've got some stock, they've got some bonds, they've got some of this, that. But those are all financial instruments. They're, they're, they're no tangible assets, right? Those are all things that fluctuate based on uh, what our economy is doing and basically human reaction, which is what the stock market is. People panic, they sell, the market dips, people get greedy or get excited, they buy, the market goes up. So the stock market is always driven by human reaction and you can kind of gauge what human reaction will be, but you never know at the end of the day. And so again, uh, I would put things into tangible assets like real estate, into financial, in the financial market like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, CDs, things like that. Um, and then the one that I'm investing a lot of money in now is, is startups and companies and actually owning equity of a business that you feel very strongly about. And again, of course, when you're evaluating that business, something that you think will do well uh, regardless of, of what our economy is doing, right? For instance, Facebook got real big in the recession. It's clearly a recession-proof business model. And so for the early investors of Facebook, they're all billionaires now. Uh, cool. I wasn't an investor yet and had no idea that that even existed at that point. But there are other companies that might not be as big as Facebook, right? But there are Ubers coming up every day. There's Airbnbs coming up every day. These other companies that for the first round investors or Series A investors that got into those have got 400x on their money back. And so, you know, I, I still and will always own real estate. I do have some stocks. I have a ton of freaking gold, real gold, not like paper, but like mm -hmm. actual, I can bite it. Uh, you know, it's, it's in a safe. And uh, now I have a ton of equity spread out across several different businesses that are in several different industries. Um, and uh, I feel like that's good. Right now, that's my wealth. That's where my net worth is. And then as far as where I make my money, again, I spread that out across a few different industries and avenues as well. And so, you know, to say that you're quote unquote recession proof, well, maybe that's a little arrogant, but I'm a lot better. I'll, I'll fare a lot better <laughs> Heaven forbid we go through another 2007 and 8 and 9 than I did the first time because I will have, again, other things to rely on that aren't necessarily economic or uh, real estate driven. And mm. so the importance is to, to, to protect yourself, to protect your assets. Mm. Well, and then, you know, on that topic, I mean, because another, another trend that you and I have obviously seen is also like, the boom of the online educational products, right? I mean, like you've got, you know, a lot of the, the people that were actually at Thrive, a lot of the guests that you had, you know, the Lewis Houses and the Gary Vaynerchuks and the Ty Lopez. I mean, they're all leveraging that right now, right? And um, there's a lot of people that are trying to kind of navigate that space and how do they kind of put out their unique product with their own twist? I mean, what any predictions for that? Do you think that it's going to continue booming? Do you think that, that uh, we're eventually going to get oversaturated? Like what, what are your thoughts on that space? 
I think that um, so two thoughts. I think that education is one of the most economic proof industries that exists. It's a fact that when people can't get jobs, they enroll in school because I think that getting a degree or furthering their education will open opportunities for them, which I mean, I don't know that we have time to get into that conversation. Maybe we do. But, uh, you know, as far as the traditional educational model for people who have gone out and gotten degrees, I don't think it was a waste of time. There are those like Robert Kiyosaki and Mark Cuban who condemn that now that say that you're literally wasting your life and your money mm-hmm. and that getting a degree. And Gary Vaynerchuk's on that, that bandwagon as well. You're an idiot to go to school. I don't say that necessarily, but what a degree does today is not what a degree did for our parents, right? And so mm-hmm. – the education industry is something that historically does well regardless. So for people to start participating in that and contributing, you know, 30 years ago, the only way you educated was if you were a teacher at a university or a high school or whatever, right? Now, if you've got an iPhone, you can create a YouTube channel and educate people and charge them for your content. Anybody can do it. So uh, I think that number one, that there will always be money in education. And so your question was, how do I think that will fare in the future? I think it's a multi, multi-trillion dollar industry. Mm. However, what I just said, that anybody can educate that has an iPhone and can subscribe to a YouTube channel for free, can be a quote-unquote educator, concerns me. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I've had this conversation a lot. You mentioned a few, Ty Lopez, Lewis Howes, who I'm going to his house tomorrow to actually record content for a educational product he has launching in June. So uh, any of your followers of Lewis Howes, when you see his marketing come out in late May and June for his next quote-unquote online educational course and product, I will be some of the content in that. So I'm literally going to the dude's house tomorrow to Mm -hmm. record some content for that. Uh, guys like Lewis, guys like Ty Lopez, guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, um, I think are quality educators and I think that they have some valuable things to say. And I think that, you know, like any investment, when you look at the different courses and products they sell, you got to ask yourself, if I pay 97 bucks for this, or if I pay a thousand dollars from this, am I going to commit to using it to at least get that money back? Right. Cause I'm an investor and I don't care. You know, Evan, you can sell me a hundred thousand dollar coaching program. And if I can evaluate it and say, I have the contacts and I think that it's a well put together enough educational model that I'll make at least my hundred grand back. I don't bat an eye at investing in in this type of education. The problem I think we have right now is somebody goes and reads Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, gets two thirds of the way done, doesn't even finish the book, goes and gets their iPhone, creates a YouTube <laughs> channel and starts trying to sell me on how to quote unquote make a seven figure business, right? Or a six figure business. I see a lot of them like want to know how to make six figures online or whatever. Call me today. And it's like, well, I'm already making six figures a month. So that's not interesting Mm -hmm. to me. And then there are the others that say, okay, I'll show you how to make a seven figure business. And then the question I have for them is cool. What's your company right now? How much money did you raise in your first round? How many employees do you have? What's your P&L look like? And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't actually have a company. My business is teaching people how to have a successful business. And it's like, so wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. You want me to pay you to learn how to do business, but your only business is teaching people how to do business. You don't actually <laughs> own a business like Gary Vaynerchuk does with VaynerMedia that does 70 million this year, 100 million next year, right? Or Wine Library TV that does 30 million a year. You don't actually own businesses and then teach me how to do business. You are in the business of just teaching people how to do business. That's it, right? And they would say, oh yeah, of course. I have a problem with that. And it's that lack of integrity that only makes me question, you know, how far this industry will grow. So again, not being a naysayer, but people are smart. And so what does this industry look like in five years? Education's going nowhere but upward and onward. Uh, traditional education, I don't know if you know this, Evan, has increased at over seven times the cost of healthcare in America. Everyone complains about healthcare. 
That's been a huge topic in our country for the last decade. Yet education's in, increased in cost by over seven times the speed that uh, healthcare is increasing at. Right. So there's a huge shift right now. And for people like Gary who have legitimate things to teach, who have the credibility to teach it, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry. For the tens of thousands of people who are just a coach and nothing else, uh, people like me are a little bit of tired of hearing about it and mm. fed up with it. So, you know, I don't know if, if like other industries, they'll just be pushed to the wayside. People won't buy their products and they'll go and do something else. Or if it, like your question was, if it will become so saturated with nonsense that people mm -hmm. just get irritated with it altogether and stop buying it, even from the guys like Gary who have valuable things to say, you know, I don't know. Mm. But as a blanket statement, education's going nowhere, and these online courses and modules, multi-trillions of dollars will be made by guys like you, by guys mm -hmm. like Gary, by guys like Lewis Howes. However, for those out there that just hate working as a waitress part-time, go and buy an iPod, or an, excuse me, an iPhone, and now they're the quote-unquote online business guru that want to charge me 10 grand to teach me what they read in a book, um, you know, I, I don't think things will work well for them. So mm -hmm. what's the moral of the story for any listening to this that was interested in participating in that industry, go succeed first. Mm -hmm. Go, I mean, that's just basic integrity right there. If you want to sell me information, which is what education is, then go earn the right to do so. Go start a business, go kick ass at it, make a ton of freaking money. And then once you have the knowledge, experience, and credibility, now charge me to learn what you've learned in the real world so that I can apply it in my own business. You'll make a ton of money in the coming years. Uh, beautifully said, man. Uh, <laughs> You know, and I, I mean, obviously just, uh, you have a wealth of experience and, you know, you, you've really had a lot of experience with, you know, the kind of the practical, traditional, uh, business, business knowledge, business investment. And then now you're, you know, you're beginning more and more involved in the educational space. Um, and I love what you said, and I want to bring it back to Gary, because I feel like, again, just to bring it back to thrive, I thought that he really landed it that first night, you know, he came out and the very first thing he said was, you know, what I'm most petro, you know, what I'm most afraid of is that everyone is wanting to jump onto this educational bandwagon right now, and at the end of the day, like what it, the, what's going to separate the successful from the non-successful are the ones that are sticking it out and they're in it for the long term. And I know that's something he's been stressing a lot over social media as well, like this concept of overnight success. There's no such thing, like. You know, they see him succeeding and they see him doing all this stuff and they're like, wow, it's easy. But they don't recognize the fact that he was doing wine library for years upon years, putting out this video content and it wasn't getting nearly as many hits as he's getting now. And now he's reaping the rewards. So, you know, I love that the whole foundation of, of this event, Thrive, was really built on that statement. And that to me was the thing that I was taking home the most is like, dude, like, I get it. Like, I'm going to go viral, but I don't need to go viral today. Like, stay the course, you know, put the foundation in place, like, do good work, put out good content, don't cut corners, and the, the success and the things that we want and the things, like, they'll come. Um, exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like exactly, you know, um, people understand their bodies. And so if people are not happy with the way they look, they want more muscle, less fat, whatever it is, it's common knowledge that that's going to take some time. You're, you don't just flip a switch and have your dream body. You got to start dieting and exercising, work your butt off. And after a few weeks, months, or years, then you will have 
put in the work it takes. And so people know that there's really no shortcuts. I mean, of course, there's crazy stuff like liposuction, et cetera, but that's still not going to give them what they want. That's only a, a shortcut in losing fat, but then you still got to work out to condition to have good cardiovascular health, et cetera. However, with how easy technology has made selling information, people honestly believe that they can, like you just said, the opposite of what you just said, they don't need to put in the time. They're just like, oh, sweet. Mm. You know, I'm going to take what I just learned in this book and reword it a little bit to make it my quote-unquote own content, package it up and sell it to people, and I could do that pff, next week. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I don't think the world is that dumb. I don't think that you – know, I mean – of course, sadly, some people will buy your product, but you're not going to make a living off it. You're not mm. going to be, you know, really creating value. And so money always follows value, period. In every industry, money always values, uh, or sorry, money always follows value. So yeah, to second what you just said, and this isn't to discourage anybody. This is just a reality check and shame on me if I don't tell people what they need to hear, right? You know, mm -hmm. I could tell people what they want to hear, but what people need to hear is if you want to sell people money, right? And get into this education space, do it, kill it, make a gazillion dollars once you have the experience and the knowledge and the know-how. And so that might not be today. Awesome. Go learn business, go get good at stuff and then, you know, teach us. Mm. And, uh, and I'm happy to pay for it. I've, uh, as of this recording, I've invested over $200,000 into non-traditional education. That's mm. specifically to hiring a coach or a consultant or buying a product or buying a coaching package. I'm not talking about any of my traditional schooling I went to. From $97 products to $60,000 coaching programs, I've invested a collective sum of two hundred grand into myself. So I'm a huge, huge connoisseur of buying this <laughs> stuff. I'm a believer in it. Um, but I also, again, you know, want to want people to recognize that that they need to be uh, coming from a place of credibility. So, mm. you know, I think we got that one. I think I think people are clear on that. Well, uh, yeah, definitely clear on that one, but but I want to touch on that. You know, the fact that you have invested so much in yourself and you know, and you have aligned yourself with these these high-level players. I mean, that's obviously like how you were able to put Thrive together in the first place. Like you've been networking, you've been, you know, you've been putting out valuable content you've been showing up in the space and you have you know stayed on the radar of these powerful influencers and i imagine you probably get this question a lot but what would you say has been the uh, biggest you know what has created the most success for you in connecting and building relationship with these high level influencers what what's the tangible product or just in a general statement uh well what has allowed you to continue creating relationships with them but then also um yeah, what has allowed you to then kind of reap the rewards of bringing them to your to your events, and now you know you're doing products with Lewis and others? Um, what what ha what would you say has created the most success for you in establishing those relationships? Sure. So, uh, time. Let me just condense six years into <laughs> sixty seconds. But uh, I went to a three day seminar where I paid I don't even remember how much five hundred bucks, not a lot. It was cheap to go and learn how to quote unquote have an online business, which just so you and your audience know, I have zero products. Uh, I just got done saying I've invested over 200 grand in myself. So I believe in it, but I just, I'm not interested in doing it. And I get harassed. I get emails every day. Every time I speak on someone's stage, people come up to me and say, where can I get your product? I want it. It's just not for me. It's, you know, again, does that mean I don't believe in the industry? No, we just got done talking about that and I spend money in it. It's not for everybody. And, you know, guys like Gary Vaynerchuk don't invest in real estate. It's not for everybody. That being said, uh, and, and we talked about helping Lewis. I'm 
he's leveraging me as his relationship to come and train for his product. I have no equity in it. I'll make no money from it. I'm just happy to help out a friend and whatever he wants me to talk about, he's going to package up as whatever it is he's selling. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so coming back to the, to the question, uh, in 2000, in September of 2010, I went to a three day workshop on how to have an online business. It was something that I had just heard of. I had, I was in the middle of literally bleeding from my real estate business, right? It was 2010. I'd been getting hammered for two years and I was like getting frustrated with real estate. And I was like, all right, screw this industry. I got to, I got to see what else is out there. Ooh, online business. Let's learn about that. And this dude, Lewis Howes, just happens to be one of five keynote speakers that weekend. And he gets off stage and I, introduced myself to him. I was just a random Joe Schmo, nobody in the crowd. And, you know, I've spoke on stage a lot. I think you have as well, Evan. And when you're the speaker on stage, you get bombarded by everybody when you're off stage. And mm. so I was nothing special to Lewis. I was just a dude that said, hey, thanks for what you shared. Great, whatever. Um, and I asked him again, you know, how to learn more because I thought what he shared was fascinating. He said he had this $97 product. I went and I bought his $97 product and I followed him for about a year of his newsletter, his, his uh, different, he didn't have a podcast yet, but his content he was putting out there. About a year and a half later, I reached out to him and asked him to be a business coach of mine and said, hey dude, I think you're really good at business branding. I have successful businesses. I've made a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money. And at this point, I'd made it all back and more, which we didn't talk about earlier. I got my butt kicked in the recession. But come 2011 through today, I've made more money every year consecutively. I've had five record-breaking years in a row now. And so nice. I'm back on my feet. I'm freaking kicking butt. And I reach out to Lewis to say, hey, how do I build a personal brand about this? You seem to have done well. And again, I met you in 2010. I bet you don't remember me. Whatever. So now it's a year and a half later. I buy his his coaching, I forget what it was, like four grand a month or something, or I don't even remember what it was. Mm -hmm. And now I basically did that to buy the relationship. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember for his first check, he's like, yeah, 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 just give me your credit card number. And I said, nope, I want to hand deliver this to you because he lives in Los Angeles. I live an hour and a half south in Orange County. I said, I want to hand deliver this to you and I want our first coaching session to be in person. He said, done. And the only reason I did that was I wanted him to, to know who I am, period. Mm. So I drove up to Hollywood. We met at a breakfast place and had egg white omelets with spinach and mushrooms. I'll never forget. It was like some mm. super healthy place. I handed him his first four grand or whatever it was. And we did our first coaching session in person because I wanted him to know who I was. And then as he coached me, I was investing in that relationship. I was asking him, how can I create value for you, Lewis? And he's like, no, 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 dude, you're paying me. Let me help you. And I was like, yeah, I get that. Mm -hmm. but And we'll use that time for you to train me, but how can I help you? And mm -hmm. so bottom line is I started investing time and money into Lewis, which then connected me to John Lee Dumas, which I did the exact same, exact same thing with John Lee Dumas. I hired John Lee Dumas to coach me on how to launch a podcast. And I told him, I want our first coaching session to be in person. And I want to hand deliver you the first check. He lives in San Diego, the opposite direction, an hour and a half south. Drove to John's house. We had our first coaching session on his balcony, overlooking the bay. I handed him his check in person. I gave him a $400 bottle of whiskey because he said that was his favorite. Um, and I invested in that relationship. And by the way, some of your audience might say, well, Cole, lucky for you, you had all this money. It doesn't take money to do this. Mm. I wanted them to know I'm alive. There are so many people who I now mentor or know who are alive who haven't given me a dollar. This is just the way that I did it. And so then I invested with John Lee Dumas. And bottom line is, once I invested in John Lee Dumas, that connected me to 30 other people. And I looked at my Rolodex, so to speak. And I said, okay, I'm one person removed from guys like Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm 
personally friends with now, you know, uh, Lewis House, Adam Braun, Tucker Max, etc. about 15 other people. And I said, holy crap, I can pull a conference off because 15 people, I can just text them and ask them and they'll tell me yes. And these other five people that I'd love to have, like Robert Hershevek from Shark Tank, who spoke at Thrive and Gary Vaynerchuk and these Keith Ferrazzi, these freaking mega monster, like quote unquote, celebrity business entrepreneurs, I can just ask Lewis, Hey Lewis, give me in touch with Gary Vaynerchuk. You guys are friends or it's, you know, I'm one person removed and I ended up putting this event together. We had 22 speakers and nobody in the history of the world has ever seen an event with as many quote unquote, big name, badass speakers that we had at thrive. And, uh, it was a first year event obviously. And so, uh, that was a long answer, but I don't want to oh, just give good, people man. the answer. I want to train them on what that's they good. need to do. That yeah. right there represented six years. Mm. So the first takeaway is I had patience. The second takeaway was I put my money where my mouth was and took my time to build these relationships. The third thing was I asked them how I could create value for them. My mm. mentors who I was giving money, I said, how can I help you out? And that looked like, again, I gave Lewis some advice in real estate. He'd always wanted to do it. I connected him to a mutual friend of ours, or he was a mutual friend. He is now. And so I was helping them meet people that they didn't otherwise know because I was connected to him. And so helping do that to where now, I mean, Lewis Howes and I are, are buds. And, and again, all the speakers that thrive and I are buds. And so for the audience that says, I don't know anybody. Well, in 2010, I didn't know anybody. And uh, over the last six years, five and a half years, um, it'll, I guess it'll be six years in October. So five and a half years, uh, I've just been slowly but surely meeting Lewis, who introduces me to John, who introduces me to 10 other people, who introduces those people, introduced me to other people like Gary Vaynerchuk and Robert Hershevek. And so my quote unquote Rolodex and relationships have grown because I took the time to make these people, number one, know I was alive. I'm not just an email or a mention on Twitter. I showed up in person and got to know them. And then number two, had the patience to let the relationship grow at a healthy pace. I mean, I have people that meet me and like the second time we ever talk, they're already asking me for crap. It's like, oh, cool, blah, blah, blah. Next time I see them, hey man, do you mind like doing this and could you do this? And you have a huge audience. Could you like tweet this for me? And could you put, and I'm like, dude, I don't even know you. Why am I gonna <laughs> spam my audience with your crap? And I don't even know if your crap's good or not. And so again, I took six years to invest in these people to the point where now, not only do they come and speak at Thrive, again, they helped promote the event for me, et cetera. Wow. Awesome. Awesome, man. <laughs> Nothing for me to really add to that. Uh, I think you landed at home for sure. You know, give first. I think a lot of people overlook that concept and it's probably the most critical thing they can take away from this episode. <laughs> and you hear it all the time. It's almost like common sense, but I don't think people really do it. Mm. Yeah, I know. I, I, it's it's unfortunate, you know, because I, I get it. You know, I've been there when I was first starting out. It, it's so easy to get wrapped up in, I want this, I want that, you know, I want this success, I want this. You get so kind of internally focused that you forget that, you know, these, these individuals, like you want to you wanna get a mentor, you want to leverage their success, or you just want to meet them and pick their brain or what have you. I mean, you got to remember that they're getting approached all the time. Like they are in the spotlight. So it's like, you know, they have a magnifying glass on them and everyone is coming to them with that. Like it, it, it's, it's such a, it seems like a simple shift, but I mean, it, it, it'll change, you know, your, the rest, the course of the rest of your success by coming and asking, how can you serve first? Yeah, well, I want to give your audience a lesson on how to get influencers to pay attention because what you just said is gold, but enough people are using it that it almost doesn't work anymore. Mm. I do have complete strangers come up to me and say, Cole, how can I help? Cole, what can I do? And they're smart, right? Because they're 
they're approaching me with how can I create value in your life? And it's almost, I don't want to say see-through, but like for complete strangers to come up to me and say, hey, Cole, how can I help you? It's like, well, dude, I don't know you. Why do you even need to help me? Like, I mean, are you, are you Santa Claus? You know, <laughs> like, why are you just wanting to take time out of your life to help? And so I think the bigger thing is, is to take the initiative to just do the help and to invest the time. Here's how you get an influencer to notice you. I don't even manage my own social media. I have other people hand on my Twitter, Facebook, et cetera. But I do notice when people are retreating, well, let me try that again, retweeting, not treating, yeah, retreating me, retweeting <laughs> my content, et cetera, right? And so like, here's a great way to get an influencer's attention is just be their greatest advocate and fan. Mm. When they do a blog, comment in their blog. When they do a video on YouTube, comment on their video, positive stuff like, oh my gosh, this is awesome, I thank you. Uh, and then post it and tag them in it. Oh, just watch this awesome video of Evan on YouTube, check it out. And then now Evan sees these tagged that and says, whoa, this guy named Bob just shared my video, that was nice. Whoa, Bob, again, just mm. retweeted my last tweet. Whoa, Bob just, tweeted my blog like you notice this stuff and so instead of going up to an influencer and saying hi i'm a complete stranger how can i help you someone like me will say you just want to help me because you want something back but if you ask me for nothing and just show up and do stuff like this we notice hmm. no matter how big they are we notice and a story i can't get into um with gary vaynerchuk a friend of mine uh gary now is uh, an advisor to his nonprofit. He and Gary have become friends, and the only reason that relationship even exists is because that guy was like Gary's biggest quote-unquote social media fan to where finally Gary straight up uh, like direct messaged him and said, dude, like who are you? <laughs> Thank you. Like I would like to get to know you, and they've become friends. That's mm -hmm. Gary Vaynerchuk that – who is busier than anybody I know still noticed this one guy that was like his greatest, greatest fan. So the, the, I guess call to action and challenge I would have for your audience is, Hey, don't go to a big event where a guy like Tony Robbins is on stage and run up and say, Hey, Tony, how can I help you? Tony's mm -hmm. going to tap you on the head and say, you're cute and walk past. <laughs> if you have a particular person that you want to build a relationship with, figure out how you can just create value for them. Reposting content is obviously easy. If you get access to their emails, send them suggestions and ideas. I did that with my number one mentor right now, a guy who I was on the phone with today for an hour. I mentor with Than Merrill. The guy's worth hundreds of millions of dollars uh, an hour a day. Or sorry, not an hour a day, an hour every Tuesday. From 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., I'm on the phone with Than Merrill, rain or shine. The only reason the guy knows I exist was because I emailed him for months ideas and things that I thought he might be able to do better where he finally was like, dude, let's meet. Mm -hmm. And boom, fast forward five years, he and I are like best buds. So create value on your own. Influencers will notice you. And and. And what I keep hearing, you know, the underlying thing there, Cole, also is like the consistency, right? Yes. Like, I mean, you kept you kept messaging them. You kept, you know, like you said, people kept retweeting your stuff or they kept commenting uh, and they kept showing up. And that to me is like, what's going to bring that long term success? Like, you don't you don't just give up after one like oh, I retweeted. And I mean, you know, it didn't it didn't work like, no, I mean, you 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 stay there like you have that long term vision and you stay committed to it and you show up, you keep showing up and that that consistency creates success i'm gonna yeah. i'm going to like reverse psychology call out your audience lay it on us what you just said is the exact formula but guess what one percent of your audience is going to do it yeah. maybe maybe <laughs> not maybe maybe 50 to 80 percent will try it one percent will literally retweet whoever it is they're after on every single tweet or mm. comment on every single blog but that one person is going to be on your show in a year completely set 
So, or that one percent, I should say. And again, yo, if, if you call me out on it, you know, go out there and, and freaking do this religiously, and you'll see what I'm talking about, right? So, for your audience, uh, like what Evan just said, don't try it once and say, "Oh, well, I just retweeted." Um, oh, who's who's huge? I just retweeted Mark Cuban, and he's not my best friend. Cole's, you know, it he's lying to me, right? Whatever. Go out there and just do it, do it, do it, and these people will notice you. Wow. Yes. Yes. Oh my God. So many golden nuggets, Cole. There's still quite quite a bit I want to talk about, but I know that you know you're a busy man. So uh, there, this one this one key thing that I, I really wanted to land with people. I thought you just said it so eloquently, bringing it back to Thrive again. Which, by the way, guys, you know we're going to be talking about this uh, this event Thrive that that Cole puts on. He put on the first one last year. It was amazing. You, you've heard us talking about it. He's putting on another one this year. We'll go into more a little more detail later. But, you know, one of the segments that you had during the event last year was you explained this concept of thriving, um, you know, this this where you find this balance of creating wealth in your life and then doing for purpose work, you know, so you create more wealth so that you can help more people. You can explain it more eloquently, but I'd love it if we could land that point home with our audience. Yeah, absolutely. So just what the definition of like thriving is and, and how to put it all together. Right. Yeah. So here's the deal. The world has told us, and this has nothing to do with religious beliefs or lack thereof, the world that we live in of consumerism, of pe taking people like the Kardashians and putting them on a pedestal is that the more – and I'm not knocking them either, but the more money you make, the more stuff you have, the happier you will be. Yet when we look to our celebrity multimillionaire gazillionaires, many of them are happy and live fulfilling lives, but many of them also are in and out of drug rehabs, right, uh, in and out of marriages, etc. So if the real secret to happiness in life is just having more money and more stuff, then how come the happiest or excuse me, the, the wealthiest, most famous celebrities aren't the happiest people in the world? How come they're pretty much just like everybody else? They just have more stuff. And so – I lived that uh, after you know my accidents and and having to recalibrate my life. Uh, I went out there and I succeeded at a young age. You know, at 23 years old, I was having six-figure months. Not every month, uh, but I I would have a few six-figure months a year. I was making over half a million bucks a year net, which for 23 through 26 is not bad. Again, the recession came at 27, slapped me on the wrist, taught me a lesson, and now I'm you know making seven figures a year. But the point is. When I was first 23, 24 years old, making five, six hundred, even seven hundred grand a year, I would spend it all. I had brand new Escalades with, I would put five TVs in them. I bought a brand new $100,000 wakeboarding boat and I did it all. I, I was renting a $5 million house on the sand in Newport Beach. Not close, like on the beach. If mm -hmm. I fell off my balcony, I hit the sand. It was. Mm -hmm. 270 degrees of unrestricted ocean view where my neighbor to the left is the dude that owns the farms in Idaho that grows the um, potatoes that become McDonald's french fries. <laughs> He's the guy to my left. So like talk about baller. Every McDonald's french fries, well, I guess maybe not every, but at least locally here in the Southwest comes from this dude. He's set. And my neighbor to the right sold some tech company for uh, I think it was like $130 million. And then there I was smack dab between them. So it was Baller city. And I will remember I was 25 years old living in this home that I was renting, by the way. I didn't buy it. I was renting it, but it was not cheap. I had my brand new Escalade downstairs. I had my $100,000 wakeboard boat out on the curb. And as I stood there on the balcony, I was thinking to myself, like, is this it? Like, is, is, I mean, I'm pretty successful at 25. Do I just keep working harder so that it's a Lamborghini in this garage instead of an Escalade? And I own this house instead of renting it. And then what? I get a second home, maybe on a Hawaii beach. 
and put a, a Ferrari in that car? Is is it really just what I'm doing now and just more of it to where in my 40s I have seven or eight houses like this, seven or eight Lamborghini? Like, and so you know, I just kind of got to this point of shoot, uh, this can't really be what it's all about. And you know, growing up in the church and, and having faith, I kind of reevaluated things and said, "Geesh, I got so busy chasing wealth." or chasing riches, excuse me, I forgot to build wealth and the things that actually really matter. And so I shifted and said, okay, instead of just earning money and spending it, I want to use it in a way that matters. I want to be a for-purpose company, not just a for-profit and not a non-profit, a for-purpose. And so the way I illustrate this is through a quadrant of four different quadrants. It's hard to explain visually, but one of the quadrants is someone who makes a lot of money but has very little purpose in their life. And that's who I was. And that's called the earning quadrant. And there's nothing wrong with that. But this is where the world tells you you're going to find happiness and you don't. You just find more money, which is great. And money does solve some problems, yes, but it's not going to make you happier. It's just going to make a happy person have more options or a miserable person have more ways to be miserable, right? Hmm. So that's the earning quadrant. The next quadrant is the surviving quadrant. Those are for people who are not living a purposeful life and not making a lot of money. So they're getting paycheck to paycheck, and statistically, this is where most people live. It's They're not in poverty. They're not necessarily homeless on the street, but they are living uh, at their max financially. They are, again, paycheck to paycheck, maybe two spouses each having to work, potentially even two jobs each to just keep the bills paid. These are not bad people. They're working their butts off, but because they're not making much money and because they have to work so hard for what they are making, they don't have much time. They don't get to live a profitable or purposeful life. Mm. Their life is consumed with existing, with commuting to work and working that job to barely keep the bills paid, period. The next quadrant is called the giving quadrant. Now, this is like where your churches, your nonprofits, your missionaries, your humanitarian workers, your philanthropists live. This is for people who are not making money but giving back. They're all purpose, zero profits. Churches, nonprofits, and, and like missionaries and, and, again, humanitarian workers all have to raise support. Churches exist because the uh, church body gives them money. Nonprofits exist like the Red Cross because people give them money. And so their, their function is all about making the world a better place. But their economic model requires people to fund them the entire time. High purpose, low profit. That's the giving quadrant. That's the third. And then the fourth quadrant is called the thriving quadrant. This is for people who are high income and high purpose, high profits, high purpose. So people who are making a freaking killing but making their money matter at the same time. And so where I shifted was from the earning quadrant of making a ton of money but spending it all because that's what I was told I was supposed to do into the thriving quadrant of making my money and my resources matter in a meaningful way and acknowledging that when my day comes to dive and go on to what I believe happens next, no one's going to stand around my casket or my coffin and say, gosh, Cole had fabulous cars. He had a beautiful mm -hmm. home and he and his family took awesome vacations, which we do, by the way. Let me clarify. This is not living in poverty. As I speak to you here from my home, I'm living in my dream house. Every car I've ever dreamed of owning, all seven of them are in my garages or on my driveway right now. So I live a great life. However, I live well within my means so that I can do things like I own an orphanage in Mexico, and as of this moment, I'm taking care of 21 kids. Uh, I have a nonprofit that I personally fund that has initiatives on five of the seven continents around the world. And so where I could have a Ferrari, I have an orphanage. And where I could have five other 
you know, rental or not rental luxury um, vacation homes around the world. I have five initiatives in five different continents around the world so that now when my day comes to go, I did have a great home. I did have great cars. I did take great vacations. But what people are going to stand around talking about is the meaningful difference I made in their lives or in the lives of others around the world. And that is a thriving quadrant. And it's for each to judge in their own way. And so what I say is at an individual level, let's not be, you know, a-holes who just make a ton of money and indulge it and, and spend on ourselves. Let's do something with our money to make it matter. And then on a bigger macro level, let's see if we can do that with our businesses. A perfect example of this, Evan, is Tom's Shoes. Most people have heard of Tom's Shoes. If you haven't, Google it. And the business model behind Tom's Shoes is for every pair of shoes they sell, they give a pair away, period. That's it. So you go to Nordstrom's or you go anywhere that Tom's is sold, and when you buy that pair of Tom's shoes, someone in some third world country who can't afford shoes gets a brand new pair themselves. And that blew up, and that's called a for-purpose business model to where Blake, the owner of Tom's, just sold half his company last year for $300 million. Wow. He's not a nonprofit, but he's not a typical for-profit. He's a for-purpose because while he's making money, he's making a difference. Mm. And so the challenge I have for the world of where you will find happiness is running a company that makes a freaking ton of money but makes a difference at the same time. While then to compound that at an individual level with the money you get to take home, enjoy it. Take great vacations, but don't blow it all. Make sure you're reserving a portion of it. Whatever that portion is, is between you, yourself, and God, if you believe in God, or whatever, your family, uh, to, to give a portion of that in a meaningful way to make your money matter. And I promise you, it might sound crazy, but that is where you find your happiness. Mm. Again, I have a great home. I have great cars, and, and I enjoy it. Every time I've bought a new car, I love it. Uh, it's like another family member to me. I have an mm -hmm. obsession with cars. That's my problem, right? Mm -hmm. But no car I've ever bought has ever made me as happy as the houses I've built for homeless families in Mexico. A nonprofit I partner with, we build these homes. They're only like 10 grand to build. They're 16 by 20 foot. Uh, it's, it's smaller than most people listening to this. It's smaller than your garage or even your family rooms. However, it's the first and only home these families, these homeless families have ever had. Building that home and handing the keys to a family, to, to the husband or the father of this home who now has a roof over his family's head in that moment, that exchange of seeing a grown man have tears coming down his face as I hand him the keys to his new home, nothing has ever made me feel that good. Now, I had to write a $10,000 check to make it happen. And so they say money can't buy you happiness. I disagree. It certainly can mm -hmm. because writing those checks to build those houses are some of the happiest moments other than becoming a father and marrying my wife that I've ever had. Greater than buying my dream home, greater than any vacation, and greater than any car I've ever purchased. So what the Thriving Quadrant is about is living a great life but making your money matter. And uh, that's the theme of Thrive. That is what we teach is how to be absolutely guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and Robert Hershevet coming in and teaching people how to just be rock star entrepreneurs to go out and make millions of dollars while then balancing that with people like me and Adam Brown of Pencils of Promise who teach to, hey, you know what? Don't just be some capitalist consumer that's making all this money and blowing it all. Go out there and make a meaningful difference as well because that is where you'll find your happiness. Go get rich and then go create wealth in the things that matters. And that's the theme of Thrive. And, uh, you know, for people like you and your tribe, uh, I remember when you met me there, Evan, you came up to me and, you know, you're with Preston and the other guys. And, like, your tribe gets it. Like, you guys are living examples. And that's probably what gravitated you and drew you to participating in Thrive. And, you know, this is a message that uh, some people think is crazy. Some people say, you know what, screw that. If I work hard for my money, I'm spending it all on myself. You have every right to do that. Mm. But I challenge you to try what I just taught 
and see if you find more fulfillment in using your money in ways like that. And again, that's the theme of Thrive. Yeah, and, and for everyone that's that's tuning in, uh, that you want to hear more about this event, you you can actually uh, Cole has actually put together videos from Thrive 2015. You can check those out at WatchThrive.com, and you could also find out about the upcoming event, uh, which will be taking place in October, and that you can check that out at AttendThrive.com. And again, I'll be listing all of this in the show notes, and I might be even uh, teeing it up again at the end of the episode. But I wanted to uh, to kind of start to wind down the episode and bring it back to this, Cole. You know, you touched on it earlier. Um, I mean, everything you're sharing is just, it, it's super inspirational. It, it, it's its so powerful. And I feel like your story is such an integral part of, you know, what motivates you to wake up and, and live in this way. You mentioned earlier that, you know, you, you got into this car crash. Uh, you know, it took you out of commission. You were no longer able to be a firefighter. You started down this new path. But then there was another piece to that story that I thought was just so integral and, and just pulls at the heartstrings. Could you elaborate a little bit further on, like, that second brush with death that you experienced in your life that, that had you become the man you are today. Yeah. So in 2004, I had two accidents, two months apart. The first was a car accident, myself, my best friend in the world, Steve and Matt, our other best friend, the three of us were the three amigos. We were inseparable. Uh, we were in a car driving, got in a rollover car accident and, um, Matt and I survived that accident. Steve did not. And so, uh, that was the one that put me in a wheelchair and rocked my life, almost killed me. I should be dead. I had this surgeon that worked on me uh, when I woke up from being unconscious, look me in the eyes and say, you should not be alive. Medicine didn't save you. Someone up there must have a plan for you because uh, with your injuries, you shouldn't be alive. And so Matt and I, having survived that accident, having lost Steve, became very close, pretty inseparable because we had this grief of losing Steve, but this guilt of surviving. Two months later, I'd gotten out of a wheelchair and onto crutches. Matt and I said, let's go camping and ride dirt bikes. Uh, obviously, I could still barely walk. I needed crutches, but sitting down on a dirt bike and going real slow, just in the sand desert, you know, going in circles. I was so depressed. Matt was trying to create a way for me to get back into my old routines. We went out there, and Matt and I fell into a mine shaft. It was an abandoned mine shaft. They dug out all the silver and just left the hole in the middle of the ground. And so as we were putting around, you know, wearing full gear, and, and where we were supposed to be, right on the trail, helmets, chest pads, pat, you know, the whole deal, right? Motocross. Uh, we both fell in. And as I was falling in, I was able to grab a bush and was able to climb back out. Uh, Matt fell all the way to the bottom. And uh, we had to call the fire department, called 911. It took them six hours. That mine shaft was 780 feet deep. And Matt fell all the way to the bottom and he did not survive. So in a two month period, I was in two accidents that took the two most important people to me in my entire life that I should have died in. I should not have survived the car accident. There's no medical explanation to why I did. And the mine shaft, if I would have been a few inches more to the right and wasn't able to grab a bush that was growing out of the side of the, the mine shaft, I would have fallen all the way in as well and probably not survived either. And so having that wake-up call of being the sole survivor of these two accidents at 21 years old is really what birthed this thought. Again, I talked earlier about how important family is to me. It's because I'm on borrowed time. I shouldn't be here twice. And uh, of why I'm so passionate about not just making millions of dollars a year, which is fun, but making that money matter, right? You know, I make millions of dollars a year, but I live off a few hundred thousand, which is a great lifestyle. But 
I'm not cruising around, you know, in a private jet like like an a-hole. I'm trying to make my time matter. You know, you see these these movies or these skits where people die and they go to heaven or whatever, and they're or they go to hell, right? And they're negotiating to try to get more time back on Earth, right? I've seen dozens of these different movies and skit comedies and stuff where. Or even um, uh, like the what is it with Scrooge and the three Christmases? Mm. Or no, the the three ghosts. Christmas, the, the, Christmas yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. The, the, <laughs> the ghost of the future, right? Mm. And how they negotiate. Like, please, 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 can I have more time to do my life differently? Like, can I please go back and do it again? Well, I should be dead twice, mm. and I didn't have. You know, I wasn't talking to God. Can I please go back? None of that happened. But I did have the same effect. Where after those two accidents, I was like, holy crap. I should be dead and I'm not. So without having to beg for another chance, I was given a second and third chance to live. I need to go make that, that, ma- that matter, right? Just like you mm-hmm. see in all these movies. I'll be a better person. you know. Um, I'll pray every day. I'll whatever. Without having to plead, I was given a second and third chance to live. And that is why I'm so impassioned with making my life matter. And again, for those who are financially tight right now, you have something worth way more than your money. It's your time. You can use your time to make a meaningful movement in this world. What I have found is that when you have more financial resources, you have more options. Of course, you can volunteer, but when you have money, excess amounts of money, there's just more things that you can choose to do if you want to. So the point is, as the reason I'm as passionate, like you said, Evan, the reason that it's molded me to be who I am today is because I truly am on borrowed time. And every moment of every day is extra that I don't believe I should have had. So shame on me for wasting any of it. I want to use all my God-given talents to be as successful as I possibly can, to make as much money as I possibly can, to not be owned by my wealth, but to own my wealth, to make my money matter as best I can, and to inspire as many people to join me in this movement as they possibly can so that we can one one story at a time make the world around us, our friends, our family, our city, our country, our, our world a better place. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting and, and it's how I choose to live my life. And I know that you're, you're a part of that as well, Evan. And so, uh, you know, it just comes back to having to reprioritize what was really important. And, uh, you know, I, I encourage people to not go through some weird visualization exercise, but just Mm -hmm. imagine that you had some weird pain in your side right now and you were ignoring it. And the pain wouldn't go away. It's there day and night. And you finally say, I should go to the doctor. Well, after a few tests, you find out you have pancreatic cancer and you have six months to live. How are those six months going to be different? Is that car that you just had to buy that you're waiting for, that you're saving up for, is it going to matter anymore? Or that job, that promotion you just have been stepping on people to get, is that promotion going to matter? Like if you had six months to live, and this is the diagnosis Steve Jobs was given. He had pancreatic cancer. Like if you had that reality, how would you spend the remaining time you had differently? Now imagine you go back for one of your final tests and the doctor's blinking hard and looks you in the face and says, your cancer's gone. I can't explain it. You're completely healthy. Would you go back to how you lived life before or would you keep living life and making it matter? And so people ask all the time, Cole, do I have to have near-death experiences like you did to get your mindset? Absolutely not. You can choose to think how you want to think, but picture and imagine you were given a life-threatening disease. So you reprioritize, you shift your life to make these next six months matter. Then all of a sudden your, 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 your life-threatening disease is gone. Are you going to go back or are you going to keep living a life that matters? And that's the challenge I have for your audience, Evan. Hmm. Wow. That's beautiful, man. <clears throat> Cole, uh, I want to just again, thank you so much, you know, for, for one, I mean, 
being the example uh, for, for two, just to continue to stretch yourself and look for opportunities to serve people, for putting on things like Thrive, for the homes that you build, you know, for the family that you build. And, and again, I mean, just living your life in the way that you do, you inspire others to, to do the same. Uh, I'm so glad that we were able to make this work. I want to, again, encourage everyone to go and check out the modules from The Last Thrive at watchthrive.com. And then, of course, you absolutely must attend Thrive this year. Uh, it'll be in San Diego this year. At Go to the website, attendthrive.com. All of you that are part of Influence Academy, you know that that is one of the events that we just cannot stress enough. Uh, it, I mean, Every day, I still, uh, you know, I, I'm abundantly receiving all the relationships and things that I form there. And Cole, you are an integral part of that. It is your vision. I thank you for it. Uh, my brother, as we kind of sign off, is there anything you want to leave people with? Well, I think that last, you know, thought was my heart, right, mm. that, that I just got done sharing. But uh, again, every advertisement, every reality show, every movie really puts an emphasis that you are going to find your purpose in possessions. And regardless of you believe in God, the universe, accident, happenstance, doesn't matter. I challenge you to, to just ask yourself, regardless of why you think you're here, let's just all agree you are here. So with the time you have, do you think that you're supposed to just occupying it, occupy your time making money and then spinning it or do you think there might be something more you're meant to do with your talents, your experiences, your resources, and the time that you have left to do more? Again, it doesn't have to be about God or any of that stuff. I just challenge you to ask yourself that. And then once you've come to the realization, holy cow, there is something that you're supposed to contribute to the world, something you're supposed to give back, then go out there and do it. And, uh, you know, whatever that looks like. Uh, and, and what I always say is, Let's get your finances in order first because if, if you're losing a home to foreclosure, going through bankruptcy and living on the street, can you still make a difference in the world? Yes, you can, but you're really limited. So work hard and make a difference at the same time is what thriving is all about. And so I would just you know encourage people to have that question, that conversation with themselves, and then find that, that thing and go and do it. All right. I got to be honest with you guys. I don't know how to follow that one up. I just hope that you are all willing to replay this one over and over again because there is so much wisdom in here. Cole, thank you, man, for coming on and for just like being the vehicle for this amazing, amazing knowledge and content. For all of you guys that are going to continue your journey with Cole, go to watchthrive.com. He has packed so much amazing content in there. Lewis Howes. Ty Lopez, Gary Vaynerchuk, all there streaming, ready to give you their knowledge. <laughs> and go to attendthrive.com so that you find out about this year's event. Guys, I've been to a lot of networking events. Nothing compares to this one best event of last year. Thank you guys for continuing to tune in, for getting us to this season finale, episode 26. I mean, we have come a long way. And although, yes, we will be going on hiatus, sad face. We will be back better than ever with a bang, but how we return will be up to you. So again, give me your feedback. Damn it. <laughs> what do you want to see more of? Who do you want to see on the show? Uh, what are you liking about it? Uh, what format do you see it going into? We want to know. And of course, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Try to say that three times fast. 
so that you are the first to know when we return. We love you guys from all of us here at Influence Radio. Stay classy and go love yourselves. Influence Radio.